0: Friends, we have no kids to dismiss. They're meeting already next door. Uh, I trust that you will greet one another in a uh, in a wonderfully hygienic manner after the service. Uh, we are thankful that the government made provision and dispensation that uh, in their indoor mask mandate that. Uh, Places of worship, and you, the participants, are uh, relieved of that duty at this time. I know the government will reassess that in a few weeks, so that might change, but uh, we are just thankful for uh, what we're enjoying right now together. Last week, we began a brief series, a brief fall series of messages that I call, well, I call it Do This. That's what I've called the messages, because it's based on Jesus' description of who his friends are in John chapter 15. Remember the place Jesus is celebrating the Passover to which he gave new meaning. As we saw last week, it became a memorial meal for Jesus, his body and his blood shed for us. And uh, Jesus in that upper room had much teaching for them. The Gospel of John records that for us. We call them the upper room discourses. In there, Jesus describes that the fact that the disciples, His followers, are not His servants. You're no longer servants. He says, you're my friends. You're friends of Jesus. What a wonderful description. Not only is that for the twelve, as we saw, but it's something that God wants for you as well, as through faith in Jesus, you can be adopted into the very family of God. You're a friend of Jesus. You're an heir, a co-heir with Christ. And Jesus says of His friends, You're my friends if you do what I command. John 15, 14. Now Jesus isn't being petulant there. So, well, if you're really my friend, you'll do what I tell you. That's something that we'd hear on a playground, you know. Jesus is describing who His friends are, who are connected with Him at the heart level. His commands that he speaks of are always for our good. We often hear the word command and we don't like it because we think somebody's going to tell us to do something that we don't want to do. Perhaps you were raised in a church that had a long list of don'ts and that was what you thought faith was about, your religious walk was about, just a list of commands telling you not to do what you want to do or to do what you don't want to do. It's not like that at all. Jesus' commands are always for our very best interest. As we saw last week in the Lord's Supper, He said, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of Me. He gave us the gift of remembrance that will get us through those hard times, that will warm our hearts, bring us closer to the Lord and closer to one another. It's not, a, it's not an onerous thing, it's a joy to be at the Lord's table. I know many of you have shared that some of your richest experiences of faith have been at those communion services, whether it be at a campground, whether it be at a Christian camp, or whether it be in a church service. Well, this is a precious gift that we speak of today as well. We're going to talk about baptism. It's another one of those things that Scripture commands us to do, and there's a lot of discussion, a lot of disagreement, even division in the broader family of God over this beautiful gift, this picture and sign that God gave us as a gift when He commanded us to be baptized. Now, people will sometimes do it quickly, sometimes Slowly, we'll talk about that. We can't cover all the bases of what baptism is and the meaning of it and how we differ from other groups today. First, I want to just remind you of what it kind of looks like. I have some pictures here of the most difficult baptism I was ever involved in. The year is 2007, and I was leading a group, mostly people from southern Alberta, but central and other places. 2007, I was leading a group of pilgrims to the Holy Land. We were going to Israel and Jordan, many of those wonderful sites and as we were going one of the participants the son of one of my good friends in the church dr hank hack his son hank jr he wanted to be baptized he placed his faith in christ and he says i want to be baptized but i know we're going to israel he says i want to wait until we get to israel and be baptized in the river jordan and i said no problem no problem In fact, almost all of the tourist trips to Israel include a stop at the Jordan River for a baptismal event there where people, whether they were baptized or not, they just wanted to go in there. It's like just be in the water, rededicate your heart to Jesus, get baptized, you know, and it's it's a neat thing. And we always do it on the north end of the Jordan River up by the Sea of Galilee. The water is clean and fresh delicious to drink. The only downside is that, uh, that as you get in the water there, it's full of these giant catfish that want to exfoliate the skin off your legs. And they come up with those big scratchy lips and they chew on your toes and legs while you're getting baptized. And that's kind of off-putting, but it's still so exciting you overlook that. Well, that's the tourist spot. From the Bible, we know Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist far down near the Dead Sea. In fact, the way God does things that over and over, uh, important things. For instance, the uh, the Temple Mount that began as the spot called Mount Moriah, where Abraham was called to sacrifice his one and only son Isaac, you know, the the the, the promised son, and he was faithful, and God stayed his hand. On that hill, Mount Moriah, later we know there was a threshing floor there. And that threshing floor is where the tabernacle that was brought back, I mean the Ark of the Covenant that was brought back, uh, it almost tipped over and a man touched it with his hand to steady it. it, was struck dead. King David bought that threshing floor and later it was used by his son Solomon to build the temple to keep the Ark there. The threshing floor became the Holy of Holies. Well, you see how things happen again and again. And God's people, the Scripture says, even in the Old Testament, they were baptized in a sense, metaphorically, as they went through the waters. As God parted the waters of the Red Sea, they were baptized, Scripture says, into Moses, into the faith that Moses was teaching them of the true God. Well, Jesus, I believe, was very likely, can't know for sure, but very likely baptized on the same spot that God parted the waters a second time and the children of Israel crossed from Jordan into the promised land of Cana. I believe it was the very same spot. Now the problem with that spot is that it's on the border between Israel and Jordan, countries that have fought numerous wars in the last century. It's an armed border. And I said, well, I've heard that people could get there, but I'll check into it. We worked and worked. Finally, our request to go to that spot uh, near the Dead Sea to be bab- have a baptismal service was granted, but it had to go all the way up to the uh, the uh, it was a cabinet level decision. The uh, the minister of defense had to sign off an okay that this little group of pilgrims from Alberta could go to that international border. We had to have permission of the country of Jordan. And when the time came, both armies came out to make sure all we were doing was baptizing. We had an an armed uh, armored escort of uh, military vehicles take us through the minefields, through the destroyed Jordanian camps from years before and we get to the beautiful spot. Well, it was sort of beautiful. It was, it was like a big muddy creek. And the reason it was muddy is because the Jordan River doesn't run anymore. It's been dammed up. That fresh water with the catfish, that's all up in the north. That's the drinking water. One-third of the drinking water for Israel comes from the Sea of Galilee. So the river is just runoff water from uh, from the villages and the greenhouses that proliferate throughout the Jordan Valley. It's very muddy. It's very salty. The bottom is slippery mud and silt. In fact, it's quite dangerous, they told us afterwards. And, and uh, But we had all the approvals. We went through it. We were baptized, witnessed by the Jordanian soldiers with their automatic weapons and the Israeli soldiers with their Uzis. They all applauded. And then young Hank and I, we made our way out of the mud which was up to our knees we kind of sunk down and for a while I didn't know if we were going to stop but eventually we hit rocks. we finally made it out and uh, it was only later that I asked well that was interesting but why does nobody else do that and the guide one of my guides he said well you know we don't like to tell people the truth I said well what's the truth he says well you've already done it the reason is that he says it's all of the raw sewage from the villages are dumped into, that, dumped into that, that river there. And I was thinking to myself how far we've come from Jesus' time with the River Jordan, you know, when we talk about the muddy Jordan, I have a very different memory of it. Why would people go to such extremes to do something that to the Israeli and the Jordanian soldiers' eyes was just kind of a crazy thing? Getting in the water, saying some words, immersing one of us, And then getting out. Baptism, what does it look like to people from the outside? Well, I believe we go ahead, we continue to do it because it's one of those things that Jesus commands us. If you're my friend, you'll do what I command. Baptism. Baptism, of course, we know comes from the word baptizo. There's many forms of that. Bapto, baptismo, baptisma in the New Testament. It simply means to dip under, to dunk, to immerse. It's one of the technical words the people who dyed cloth used. That's what they would do to the undyed cloth. They would baptize it into the dye, fully immerse it so it takes up all of the uh, color of the dye. We're not going to even talk about modes of baptism today, sprinkling, pouring, immersing, because the word is very clear that it means to immerse. That's literally what the word means and even in some branches of the the greater christian family that practice infant baptism for instance the greek orthodox church baptizes infants which is called pedo baptism well they don't sprinkle that baby or pour a little bit of oil and, and water on his cute little head they still dunk them all the way under and that child comes up spurting and splashing and and uh, why would they do that to that little baby because they speak greek they're the greek orthodox and the word says to dunk so they have to dunk so the the mode i'm not going to make a point of it that's very clear biblically uh years ago we had a friend she was uh one of the sisters that served at our hospital in saskatchewan where i pastored and and uh she was so interested it, when we were having a baptism she asked me once she said could i bring some of the sisters from the hospital to your baptismal service and i said It's a public declaration of faith. Sure, you can come. Why not? She says, we're so excited because some of the sisters have never seen a biblical baptism. This was from a nun telling me, and it kind of took me back because she even knew what she saw in Scripture was that type of baptism. And they wanted to see it with their own eyes. I thought that was kind of sweet. Well, in Jesus' day, baptism among God's people. It may look strange to them today, but it was enormously familiar to the Jews of Jesus' day. I have some pictures of some baptistries that you see in in the Holy Land today. The one that you see on the left with a great crack in it, that is an enormous baptistry. They didn't call it a baptistry. That's a Greek word. They used the Hebrew word. That ceremonial pool was called a mikvah. Mikvah the plural oath is a plural in the end is the mikvah oath now there are mikvahs everywhere if you're looking at archaeological ruins in in Israel you see mikvah at the temple you see them in the homes of rich people you see them uh, the one on the left is at the the Qumran community where the the Essene monks wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls it's because God's people uh, as commanded in the Old Testament immersed themselves were baptized many of them daily, some more than once a day, uh, and that was a religious cleansing ceremony. If they were unclean because of something they touched or said or did or ate... They needed to become clean and part of that repentance and cleansing was to be immersed in a mikvah. In fact no one entered the temple mount just in case they had committed a sin that they weren't aware of they would be immersed in baptistries right outside the front door of the temple. There were mikvahs or mikvah oaths there. There were many many of them. Some large, some small and they would go into them. They were set aside. There were those for the men those for the women. And they wanted to To be fully immersed in those there's a modern one there that one you say that's in good shape the one in the bottom right corner well that's a modern mikvah and we don't realize you don't often hear that the jewish people still do it but they do it's a ceremonial cleansing so in judaism there was baptism for religious cleansing which happened often there was another baptism that was practiced but only once at the beginning of a person's walk of faith And that was proselyte baptism. A proselyte is a convert from one religion to another. And when Gentiles wanted to become Jewish people, they had to go through numerous ceremonies. For the men, the first was circumcision. And as the rabbinic writings say, as soon as the man is healed from the circumcision ritual, then he must be baptized. And it was a proselyte baptism where the rabbi would immerse him fully. And when he came up, it was a symbol of him being born, the waters of birth. And he was born an Israelite. He was now Jewish through and through. That was proselyte baptism. And then we see in the New Testament the baptism of John the Baptist. It was a baptism of repentance, turning from our sin for the remission of sin, to find forgiveness. And John said he was doing that, preparing the hearts of God's people, Israel, for the coming Messiah. Make straight in the wilderness the way of the Lord. And they came out to John to prepare their hearts, to to, to receive Jesus, turning away from their sin and selfishness. That was baptism for the Jews. It was common. Uh, it was something they understood as a symbol that you either identified with someone or something it had important religious significance for them now jesus a jewish rabbi comes on the scene and we see his baptism first why does jesus commands us to baptize we want to look at the ending first and that's in matthew chapter 28 it's the latter part we call it the great commission jesus meets his disciples there on the mountain in galilee it said then jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, there's only one command in this passage, and it's make disciples. It's not go. It's not a missionary call, though it is a missionary call. It's make disciples. Grammatically, it is as you are going, make disciples. And the dependent clauses refer to how disciples are made, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. So they're baptized and then taught all that Jesus taught us. Now, some people want to put that the other way around. They want to put all the teaching, and then if you pass all your tests, you can get baptized. It's only for the the super smart or whatever. But this is Jesus says, baptize them, teach them. That's what we do in making disciples. Well, not only did Jesus tell us to do it, but Jesus amazingly modeled it for us as well. We love those passages, especially in the Synoptic Gospels that speak of the baptism of Jesus. Remember the setting? John the Baptist is baptizing for the, for, uh, for the repentance of God's people to prepare their hearts for Jesus. It's sinners getting baptized to leave their sins behind. It's a baptism scene of cleansing from sin uh, as they put their faith in God and turn away from sin and self. And then Jesus shows up. The Messiah. Well, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we're preparing for with this baptism. And then Jesus gets in line to be baptized. And John must have been wondering, what is going on? And finally, Jesus joins him in the waters there of the Jordan. And John doesn't want to baptize him. He says, this is for sinners, Jesus. This is the baptism of repentance. We read about that in Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. See, John, he knew he was a sinner. If anyone should be baptizing sinners, it should be Jesus without sin. I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water. At that moment, heavens were opened and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on Him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Beautiful passage. We know it well. Then the Spirit drives Jesus into the desert Uh, to fast for 40 days and be tempted by Satan. But in this passage, Jesus says, I do this to fulfill all righteousness. And people have wondered why Jesus got baptized. He didn't have anything to repent from, but it seems He did it to set a model for us. The Lord never asks you to go anywhere, do anything that He was not willing to do. And so Jesus As our model to fulfill all righteousness went into the waters of baptism. Well, this brings us to our main point this morning. We want to look quickly at a number of passages as we fly through the book of Acts, as we look at the position of baptism for believers. Now, I said I'm not going to talk about the different modes today or, or uh, the different views because there's three main views in Christianity. There's the covenantal theology, the reform movement. There is, uh, there is sacramental theology of, uh, of high church, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox. Remember, sacraments were ceremonies that save you, where God's grace is actually applied to your life. And then there is the... Uh, the uh, Protestant view not all Protestants because Lutherans have their own view as well very close to the Catholic view but uh, evangelicals and many Protestants see baptism like they see the Lord's Supper as an ordinance something commanded by God so we do it it has powerful blessing and symbolic teaching but it's important because Jesus commanded it as we saw in Matthew chapter 28 and Jesus modeled it so whenever i go through with a group that's preparing for baptism and by the way we're trusting god that we'll be able to have a baptismal uh later in the month of october so for those of you who want to be part in that and to testify to your faith in christ uh, just let me know and you can be part of that exciting day well let's look i want you as we read these passages you're like a detective uh, i want you to see who is hearing what they're hearing when they get baptized. Just look at those type of details. The first, of course, in the book of Acts is the day of Pentecost. Those waiting in the upper room have received the Holy Spirit. Jesus says you'll be clothed with power from on high. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches an amazing sermon right outside the temple in Jerusalem. And as he's preaching, he concludes his sermon by saying the one that God sent to save us The Son of God was this very same Jesus that you all put to death. You talk about feeling guilty. The people are cut to the heart and they cry out how they can be saved. In fact, I'll begin a little bit earlier in the passage. Verse 36 instead of verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. Peter concludes, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. many of those people were the ones who shouted crucify him who mocked jesus as he hung on the cross and now they want to know how they can be saved by jesus who's the messiah the savior so they cry out when the people heard this verse 37 they were cut to the heart and said to peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do peter replied repent And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord will call. Brothers, what shall we do? Peter says, turn your heart to Jesus. Repentance is to turn from sin and to turn to God. Peter's just preached faith in Christ. He says, if your faith is in Christ, repent, turn to God, and be baptized. Now, that's interesting that he would put that as part of the salvation experience until we remember the place of baptism in Judaism. They knew this was not one of those everyday religious cleansing washing away the daily grime of sin living in this world, they knew this was important like the proselyte baptism where you are born new into faith. What Jesus called in John 3, being born again. And baptism in many ways is a picture of birth. He said you must be born of water and of the Spirit. You must be born again but it's people who had heard the message and responded to the gospel who were baptized. That's why, friends, the stress I have today for you is what we practice. We're not proud that we have baptismal tanks and some have fonts. That's not the big issue. The important thing scripturally is that baptism is a response, a faith response to the good news of the gospel. We call it Believer's Baptism. And we call it that based on Scripture. Well, we see those people believing and being baptized. It goes on to say that there were 3,000 added to their number that day. It says in verse 41, those who accepted His message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Those who accepted the message. For by grace you're saved through faith. They heard the message And these believers were baptized. It's not whether it's children or adults. It's people who hear the gospel, understand it, and respond to it in faith. That's who were baptized. Well, the gospel begins to spread, and it begins in the book of Acts to break outside of its Jewish setting. Now, this is fascinating. It jumps into the Samaritan community when Philip the Evangelist, not to be confused with Philip, the disciple of Jesus, we talked about, one of the apostles, the one who said, Lord, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Not Philip the Apostle, Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven deacons chosen to serve in the early church. He went to Samaria and began to preach the gospel of Jesus to Samaritans. Verse 12 of Acts chapter 8 tells us, But when they had believed Philip, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Their faith response is mirrored by a physical response by being baptized. Now I asked you earlier, when do people get baptized? In the New Testament, as soon as possible when they've given their heart to God in faith, as soon as possible, they model it outwardly by being baptized in Jesus' name. Immediately. They saw it as part of the Salvation Act. It wasn't tabbed off for some later obedience when I'm ready, when I fully understand it. Brother and sister, if you understand Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you have asked Him to be your Savior and wash away your sins... You ought to be baptized, not to go to class, not to someday understand it better so it means more to me. It's for Jesus' followers, for believers. And in Scripture, they do it as quick as they can. That always amazes me. Well, not only did it jump to the Samaritans who the Jews looked askance on and disliked because they were part Jewish, part Gentile, but then the good news breaks into the Gentile world. This is an amazing passage because God had to prepare the preacher and get over his racism against Gentiles by by, uh, giving Peter a vision of that uh, great cloth lowered from heaven full of unclean animals that Jesus said, Arise, arise. Kill and eat, and Peter told the Lord, No, thank you, you know, but Peter then goes learning the lesson of that, goes to a Gentile family, a Roman family, and preaches the gospel to them and While he is preaching, the Holy Spirit powerfully fills them they obviously hearing the message, believing the message god 's spirit fills them because The baptism, which means immerse into, of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, is the birthright of all of God's children. It's not a second act of grace. It's something that happens to us, I believe, when we know Jesus as our Savior. But they were powerfully giving signs of it, speaking in tongues and so forth. So for the Jews who were stubbornly resistant to Gentiles' Even being able to be saved, they had to admit them into fellowship. It says in verse 44 of Acts 10, while Peter was still speaking these words, the good news of the gospel, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished at this. <laughs> the astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days as he discipled them. Baptize them and then teach them. And that's what Peter continued to do there. Well, that was astounding. That was astounding that Gentiles were being saved. And in putting their faith in Jesus... They were being baptized as well because that was an act that showed allegiance and identification with Jesus. They understood it to be that. Well, Paul, of course, is the apostle to the Gentiles. So all of his ministry, by and large, is in a Gentile setting. He would go to a town. If there were Jews there, he would tell them about the Messiah and he would stay with them and teach them until they rejected him. And then he would go and teach the Gentiles. So the churches were mixed Jewish and Gentile growing up. And we know the amazing story of Paul and Silas being imprisoned in Philippi, being beaten and locked in shackles. And then in the middle of the night, God sends an earthquake and opens the doors and breaks all the shackles. And they're all free to go, but Paul and Silas, they they keep everybody in their place. And then the jailer whose life was forfeit if his prisoners escaped, his home being adjacent to the jail, he rushes in. We pick up the story in Acts 16.29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Because Paul had already told him, <clears throat> Don't kill yourself, because the man had his sword in hand was going to take his own life. Paul says, We're all here and accounted for. So the man comes in and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because remember, Paul and Silas had done nothing but preach and to praise and to worship since they'd set foot in that jail. Everybody was listening and knew what their message was. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all of the others in his household. That's not only his children, it's servants and everybody there who worked for him at the jail. For all of the others in his household. Verse 33, At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. When? Immediately. They were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. And as you know, nothing gives you greater joy than knowing not only you know Jesus and will be with Him forever, but your loved ones, your sons and daughters, your grandchildren know Jesus. You know the same joy that the Philippian jailer had at that time. (laughs) And Paul and Silas, I just laugh when I think about it, having to baptize this big group. And they had just been beaten within an inch of their life. Their backs were raw and bloody. But for them to witness to their faith in Christ by baptism was so important to them. They saw it as part of the Salvation Act. They went ahead and baptized these people. And then they took care of them, washed their wounds, fed them, because they were all part of God's family now. What a beautiful example we see there. And the final one from Acts, we didn't even touch on all of them. There's so many of them. We see Paul ministering in Corinth. He arrives in that big, bustling, sinful Gentile city. It says in verse 5 of Acts 18, and we see Paul's habit of going to the Jews first, and then only after they reject him going to the Gentile people. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. And that term is a technical term that means a Gentile who believes that the God of Israel is the true God and attends the synagogue. He's not a Jewish proselyte, but is a God-fearer, a God-worshipper. And Paul went next door to his house. It says, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. We often fight over the mode of baptism, but it's clear from Scripture that the important point is it's a response of faith. It's a believer's baptism. It's something that those who believe in Jesus do to show the world their faith and to honor the command that God has given us. So I ask, briefly finishing, why be Baptized. Why? Why today? Why go to all the trouble or not trouble or why do it? Is it still relevant? Is it still part of our society? We know that uh, we don't believe in baptismal regeneration. It doesn't save you. The thief on the cross couldn't get down and get baptized. And Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. But it's part of the response of faith of every believer that Jesus calls on them to testify publicly that you belong to Him. Now many times something confusing for us is that the Scripture will use baptism in a way that is a metaphor. It speaks of something else. When you put your faith in Christ, you are in Jesus, and He lives in your heart. He's in you. You have a union with Him. The Scripture speaks of a baptism. You are baptized into Christ. You're in Jesus. That speaks of the spiritual meaning that the physical act of baptism is just sort of a a descriptor of. But there's some true baptism spiritually far deeper. Romans speaks of that. Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul had been accused of being uh, a lawless man that God had so much grace, would forgive so much sin, that you could just eat, drink, and be merry, uh, live it up for six days of the week, and then be repentant and get forgiveness on Sunday. That's what people, his opponents, were, were <clears throat> hang, they were trying to slander him in that way. <clears throat> but Paul responds to that in Romans chapter 6, and baptism comes into it. Romans 6.1, Paul writes, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That's the words of his opponents that they were trying to put in Paul's mouth. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And then he says, how you know you've died to sin and it has no power over you. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Water baptism is a symbol of that. As you go into the water, it's a symbol of your death and burial. You, through faith, Jesus' death now becomes your death to sin. Jesus' Easter resurrection now counts as your resurrection you can live a new life and our baptism is a reminder of that a physical act that speaks of this spiritual reality of union with jesus in his death burial and resurrection not only that but our baptism reminds us that we are all one we are baptized by one spirit into one body of christ that's what paul encourages that divisive church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he sees baptism shows unity with the body of Christ. Beginning a little earlier in verse 12 of chapter 12, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks slave or free, and we're all given the one Spirit to drink. Paul says that birthright of the Holy Spirit, it's one Spirit that unites us all. The Spirit of God dwelling in you is the same Spirit of God who dwells in me. We are one in Christ. And our baptism reminds us that whether slave or free, Jew or Gentile, we are baptized into one body. One. We are one in Christ. Well, friends, those are wonderful reasons that we still are baptized and and show the world through that beautiful symbol that Jesus is our Lord today. But I finish with John. We begin with John each week. Jesus says, If you're my friends, you'll do what I command. This description of friends. Well, John, later in life, in 1 John chapter 2, he writes an amazing passage. It speaks of the Lordship of Jesus. We call Him Lord. We call Him Lord, but often we forget it means Master. And if Jesus is your Master, you want to obey Him. That's what being our Master means. That His commands for us, His good and loving commands are important to us. John writes these words. You don't hear them preached on very often, I guarantee you. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. Just as Jesus described command followers as His friends, John now says, search your own heart. If you're obeying the word of the Lord in your life, it's an assurance to you that you are His. We know that if we, we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, But does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to be in him must walk as Jesus did. Where does baptism fit into that? (laughs) At the very beginning. The two ordinances, and we'll talk about other commands in the weeks to come, but these first two weeks we call ordinances ordained, commanded by Jesus. The Lord's Supper, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. It's repeated again and again and again. The baptism in Scripture we only see at the beginning. It's at the beginning. When you put your faith in Christ, it's your first act of obedience. If you were fortunate, and now in the age of smartphones, more of us are, you had a phone with a camera in it when your baby took their first steps. That's precious. It's so precious to you. For the rest of us, many of us remember that day when those chubby little legs that look like they can barely bend suddenly launch out And that baby, which is so top-heavy, just starts waddling across the floor like nobody's business. How proud you are because that baby is growing and on the move. Oh, they're baby steps, which are crooked and short, but they are important steps. Baptism are the baby steps of the Christian walk. Sometimes we may ask ourselves, we have been on the road following Jesus for many years and yet we still struggle. And sometimes I have to ask myself or ask others as well, have you been obedient to the Lord? What He asks of us? How disciples grow? What did Jesus say in Matthew 8? Baptize them and teach them. Were you baptized? Were you obedient? Did you take baby steps early in your Christian walk? Did you learn the, the commands of the Lord? Have you been in Scripture feeding on God's Word? Those are important for us. We need that nutrition. But we also need that obedience. If we are willfully disobedient for human reasons, theological division, home team, biases, whatever they may be, I ask you today, search your heart. This is not between you and me. This is between you and the Lord. Has He given you a command that you were aware of and you just put it aside as not important? It may not be important to you, but as I saw in Scripture today, it was very important to our spiritual forefathers who went before us. Who were baptized? Those who heard the Gospel and responded to it. Believers. When did they do it? As quick as they could. We skipped over the Ethiopian eunuch today for the the purposes of time. But I love what he said. As soon as he heard the good news of the gospel, he said, hey, here's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He knew he needed to be, and he did it. So friends, I don't know where everybody stands, but if this is something that you need to do and God is speaking to you, you need to do it. It'll be great blessing for you, and such an encouragement to those friends and family around you who are able to witness it. Let's let. Uh, is there a closing song today? Okay, let's join our hearts together as we're dismissed with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for understanding us. Lord, when we are young, little children, parents sometimes expect too much. They quickly learn as they become veteran parents just what children are able to accomplish and what they can do. And Lord, you have given us the gift of baptism, a wonderful picture of salvation, of our union with Jesus and our part of the body of Christ, a public testimony as we've said many times, an outward sign of an inner spiritual reality. And yet, Lord, as often things, those important things do, Lord, we fight over it. People are divided over it. Something that is such an important spiritual step and such a beautiful gift from You. Lord, if we have yet to take our baby steps, I pray, Lord, that You would help us to overcome pride which says, what would people think that I've waited so long? We have so many reasons, Lord, not to obey. But Lord, when we look at them in the light of Your Word, those reasons... They become excuses, and you brush them aside. Father, thank you for this blessing. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the walk that we have in following Him. Lord, help us to encourage one another and celebrate whenever we see somebody take this important step of obedience to testify to their faith. Lord, it's from you, and we thank you for it. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you this week.